you know, as a good horseman, you're always trying to learn from other people, you know, whether it's other professionals in the sport, whether it's grooms, vets, blacksmiths, you know, you always are looking to get more knowledge and, and watching other people train and, and never, you know, the most important thing is never think you know everything because the horse is going to teach you something new every day and other people are going to teach you things that might work and are beneficial as well. Horseman Podcast, featuring conversations with respected riders, industry leaders, and horse care experts. The show is co-hosted by Practical Horseman editors, and our goal is to inform, educate, and inspire. I'm Sandra Olenek, and this week's episode is with top hunter rider John French. Named an inductee to the National Show Hunter Hall of Fame in 2020, John has won countless championship titles at prestigious shows around the country. He's a four-time winner of the USHJA World Championship Hunter-Rider Professional Finals, and he won the inaugural 100,000 USHJA International Hunter Derby Championship riding rumba in 2009. John grew up riding in Maryland as his mother taught lessons at a rented stable. His family didn't have the means to own a lot of horses or compete on the A circuit when he was riding in the junior divisions, so John began catch riding other people's ponies and horses. After training himself to a win at the Maryland Equitation Finals on a borrowed horse, he began being noticed by other professionals for his hard work ethic. This helped him earn positions for various professionals, including the Lenihans and Hukaroffs, and eventually his own business in Pennsylvania when he was 25 years old. But soon after, a trip to California to try horses led to a resident trainer position there in 1987. After riding and competing in the Bay Area for almost 30 years, John bought property in Central California in 2016. Unfortunately, a promising new show series in Paso Robles fell through a year later, which left John traveling far to show his own horses. After he was seriously injured in a riding accident in July of 2018, John relocated to show jumper Lauren Crook's farm in Snohomish, Washington in early 2019 with the idea of building his own business and limiting catch riding. But fate had other ideas, which led to John teaming up in early 2020 with Olympian Kent Farrington to develop a comprehensive hunter division under Kent's business, KPF. In this podcast episode, John talks about his new business venture with Kent, his overall training philosophy, what he thinks makes a good horseman, how he quickly adapted to different horses as a catch rider, his favorite training exercise, influential horses in his life, how he handles competition nerves, and more. Before getting into our conversation, I want to thank the sponsor of this week's podcast, Perfect Products. Don't waste your money on joint supplements that may or may not be working. Joint Impact, from the makers of Perfect Prep, starts working fast to make your horse more comfortable and improve joint health and mobility. By stacking proven joint support ingredients with soft tissue soothers and a nutraceutical show-safe pain blocker, Joint Impact quickly produces results you can see. Visit 
www.perfectproductseq.com or call 877-324-8002 to learn more. Available online and at retailers nationwide. Now, let's jump right into the conversation with John, where he talks about how he began working with Kent Farrington. Kent gave me a call last September, I believe, and I think he had heard that I had left California and said, you know, would you want to come and work together with me and do the hunters? And I said, you know, I just moved to Seattle and I just bought a house and, you know, I didn't plan on, you know, making another change, but mm-hmm. he said, oh, he said, okay, well, let's meet at Washington International. We met and had breakfast one morning there. And then he said, you know, why don't you come to Florida and we can just, you can see the place and discuss it more. And, and after all of that, I, I really, you know, decided this is more of what I wanted to do was, you know, ride horses that I know and work with somebody as amazing as Kent is and uh, you not have to be doing so much of the management and like focus more on riding and then the select group of clients teaching was really you know, more of what I wanted to do. So then I decided to make the move and (laughs) come to Florida, try it out for the winter. And uh, it's it's been amazing. Uh, I mean, I can't say enough good things about it. How, you know, uh, um, people talk about how, you know, change is difficult. How, how were you able to just just go ahead and make the change um, after you'd been doing something, you know, sort of the same way for 30, 30 years? Yeah, well, I'm not, I mean, it's hard, but I'm not afraid of change. You know, I always, I have a philosophy that, you know, you only live once and you might, you know, you have to do what you love doing. And, and, after the 30 years of in California and going to the same shows and seeing, you know, the same people, it was kind of, you know, people get burned down and it was, it was kind of, I needed something to sort of get that spark back into uh, what I was doing. And I tried, you know, it, it helped a little bit at the Paso and the, in the Seattle, but it wasn't really the right, you know, thing and I and then this opportunity came along and I think you know these things happen all those things happen for a reason. Um, moving on to the training and riding could you describe your overall training philosophy? I would say my overall training philosophy is every horse is different and you know my philosophy is that you need to feel what each horse you know, needs, whether it's confidence, you know, whether you have to 
patients, whether the horse not really understanding his job, um, needs a stronger ride, all those things, you try to get in the horse's mind and sort of see what it it needs because I feel like as a trainer, you know, your job is to make the horse want to do want to do it for you, you know. And you want to make the horse like his job. And, you know, when the horse understands it and, you know, you give them the right amount of praise and the right amount of strong ride, you know, you can get a horse to do so much more for you when when you have that rapport with them. You know when to you know, stop if, you know, maybe it's not a good day to, to push, you know, something on this particular day. But I think uh, you just want to make the horse peak and want to do it for you. And that's, to me, is, is the most important part of of training is trying to get the horse to be happy and love what it's doing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you talked about, um, you know, knowing when to stop, you know, in your riding, any other thoughts on how you, how you can make a horse want to do it for you? Well, there's, yeah, there's some days, you know, I'll ride a horse and I mean, I'll go over one jump and the horse, you know, jumps it just how I want it. And, you know, that's it. You know, we don't keep jumping that day. I mean, I, had the horse and let him know that was it and I think sometimes people over school or over show you know you're trying to get the horse to peak at the right time for you and you know if you're over training or over showing you know that's not going to happen this you might have answered this a lot but what what do you think makes a good horseman well again it's a lot of the things that i just said you know is that they really understand the horse and and know how much to push him and how much to praise him and and can get the horse liking his job you know as a good horseman you're always trying to learn from other people you know whether it's other professionals in the sport, whether it's grooms, vets, blacksmiths, you know, you always are looking to get more knowledge and and watching other people train and and never, you know, the most important thing is never think you know everything because the horse is going to teach you something new every day and other people are going to teach you things that might work and are beneficial as well. Um, what type of horse do you like to ride? Again, I like horses that enjoy doing what they do, and you can tell that they enjoy their job. And I like a horse with a, a natural balance that I can just get in a light seat and ride on not much contact and and 
carry a little pace and just and leave them alone uh kind of let them show off their own abilities instead of overriding and when you were catch riding a lot how were you able to get get on the horses and adapt to them so quickly well cuz i think i do leave the horses alone so you know i don't get on and try to you know make a horse go a certain way you know at first i sort of leave them alone and try to see which way they go the best and since i rode so many different ones sometimes you get on and this horse reminds you of a different horse that you rode and so then you try to ride that horse that same way one good thing catch riding you don't have a lot of things in your head about okay this horse you know does this 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 and you're thinking too much instead you don't really know the horse so you're more feeling than you are thinking are you able to get on the horses that you're now more familiar with and it's kind of an interesting quality of of more feeling than thinking um with the horses you ride now are you able to still achieve that just riding more by feel yeah i mean i think i probably think more at home in the, in the training but then when i the competition i i sort of try to recreate the feel that i'm looking for with the horse but you know i let everything else go as far as training wise and too much being in my head and i ride the horses though it were a made horse or a good horse instead of you know this this horse is green and can do this i just ride it like it's you know it's going to be good um now when you're um training your clients um you were talking about uh, you know the importance of having a happy horse um you know when you're training clients who maybe need to practice you know more how how do you achieve that balance well still i mean we, we could do we don't do courses and you know we do smaller things or just little you know exercises where you know it gives them confidence it gives the horse confidence and you know even with my own clients i'm not going to overtrain them to where the horse then it's only going to start going downhill you, like i say you you need to know when it's time to quit and when and they get something right and and then they can think about that and remember that feeling and and how it felt and instead of you know drilling over and over again now do you have a favorite exercise or a type of work that you do with either a lot of horses or when you're working with your clients yeah i mean i do a lot of trot walk in and walk downward you know downward and upward transitions where i try getting the horse to come back and then go forward without either using too much hand or using too much leg but you know that you can get the horse to go forward just by you know softening from the walk into the canter instead of you know having to kick or use your leg i mean uh use too much seat that that it's very subtle and i think you know i get my horses to just kind of feel me a little m- more and 
and it's it's nothing forced to go forward. It's nothing tends to go backwards. And so I do that a lot on the flat and jumping. A lot of the young horses, I don't know if a lot of people do. I particularly used to do it when I used was riding thoroughbreds, but I do a lot of trotting jumps and just, you know, getting them to get their timing and land super relaxed on the other side and get them really relaxed with their with their jumping and then you can add a little more leg and sort of jazz them up if you need to you know create a little bit more if you need to but you know first you know I want that that they feel that it's super easy and and super relaxed and then you know my clients but I mean my biggest thing is with my clients is you know in the teaching is just that I want to keep everything as invisible as you can and and whether you know we're steadying or we're moving up that you keep the same angle and you're not leaning back to steady and you're not you know, driving with your seat to move up and can do a, a line at four stride and five stride or six strides but and not see the rider changing his uh, position or changing their their angle. I mean, so many people, you hear them say, okay, steady, sit up, lean back, you know, well, no, that's not, it's not how I, you know, that's not what you should be doing. Uh, or, you know, you, I do a lot of turns to jumps and turns on the backside and, you know, teaching them to land on their leads that are at an early age. And again, you hear sometimes people training saying, okay, you're going to, this is a tight end this is a tight turn after so land and get back and you know it's no stay over and be soft <laughs> you know you can get so much more done by being soft than being think, thinking that it's harder than it really is moving on to horses who are some of the important or influential horses in your life who have they been one of the important horses that really gave me my most memorable win was a horse named Ice Palace that when I was, I believe like 24, 23, maybe I was riding this horse for a girl named Maria Laradola and it was a quarter horse, I believe, that she had bought from someone in California and we were at the Washington International Horse Show. It was a night class in the handy and I had gone back to the hotel and it was raining and I got back to the show late and I missed my slot in the order and the back eight guys, there's only two left. So, I mean, if you can get on and go, I mean, if you can make it, we're not going to wait for you. But so I had to learn this course and I basically looked at, went in the stands and watched what the course was. It was super difficult and I got to jump one jump and I went into the ring and everything just happened. To, I think that was more thinking about the course and hoping I was going to go off course than I was worrying about finding the distance to any of the jumps. And and everything just worked out perfect. And I jumped the last fence and I went by the end gate. Rodney Jenkins, was leading, he was leading the class. 
and he leaned over the gate and I heard him say S H I T and uh I ended up winning the class of Rodney was second, Katie Monahan was third, Charlie Weaver was fourth, and I think Don Stewart was fifth. And I'll just you know, I'll never forget that <laughs> class to be those people behind me, you know. Those are probably the you know yeah. some of the greatest greatest horsemen would there have been in the in the hunters. And then um another horse it was uh a jumper actually that I did named Millennium and I wasn't really doing the jumpers. I saw him in thermal. He was only a six year old and uh we ended up buying him and I took that horse a seven year old and was like rookie Grand Prix rider of the year in the West Coast and then and then went on to the World Cup finals and I was one out for making the the Athens Olympic team and showed in two summers in Europe, you know, representing the United States you know, on the team at, at a lot of major shows over there. So I mean, that horse was very special to me because, you know, I spotted him out when he was six and, you know, it was something new for me. And, and you know, I never, I never thought I could go that far in the, in the jumper ring. And then the other horse I would say would be is Rumba. Um, when we went to Derby finals, I just, felt like I that's when everything just falls into place because he was so um I hadn't shown him that much he'd only done like nine shows that year he'd been champion like every show he went to he'd won a derby right before there and you know I felt when he came out of the ring after the the first round which was a qualifying round that I mean, he couldn't have he couldn't have tried any harder for me and wanted to do it any more than he did. And I don't know if anyone's you know seen the video, but even in the in the Derby finals, he like went to another level, like trying, and he just had this attitude that he loved it and he wanted to do it for me and after the round was over and if you see him trotting out of the ring, I mean, he was like, look at me, you know, <laughs> I just, I just rocked it. And, uh, so that was, I don't know. I didn't get like choked up just thinking about it because he was that weekend and he really wanted to do it for me and gave him, everything so i'll never forget that i'll never forget him for for doing that for me and that was the the inaugural um ushja right hunter derby championships final it was <laughs> and i was we weren't even gonna go i was like oh all the way from california from this one class i mean what if i go in the first round and i don't even qualify i mean 
then we decided to take them and yeah, it was the weekend to remember. Oh, another horse for influential horse. Another horse is, is boss. I mean, he's just the epitome of what a perfect hunter is. So mm-hmm. I also, you know, love that horse as well. But, you know, Rumba lived with me and Millennium lived with me. And, you know, those are horses that they weren't just catch rides. Mm-hmm. Now was Boss was he a catch ride horse or how did you how did your relationship with him develop? Yeah, Boss is a catch ride horse. It you know was one of Archie Costa's clients, Laura Wasserman, and uh, you know I showed him as free green. The, the incentive you know first year, second year, high performance confirmation, you know, and he was just a horse that won, 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 and took back to, you know, wherever we took him indoors, you know, he always, he always won. So, you know, he was definitely a special horse, but, but as far as the influential horses, you know, it's not always the winners that are, you know, that have an impact that sometimes it's, it's the horses that were harder that, you know, influence your career and, you learned a lot from as well as, as the winner. Hmm. That's a good point. So now you've, you've won a lot, but uh, not winning is also part of competing, um, especially with when you're dealing with horses. Um, how do you handle the loose? How do you handle losing? <laughs> um, well, I'm very competitive. So I mean, I don't like losing, but, I think I've learned that losing is, in a way, it's good because you are winning all the time. But, you know, maybe you wouldn't work as hard, you know, for it if it was that easy. It's not that easy. And, you know, recently, a couple of years ago, I was Derby Finals, and after the first round, I was sitting first and second. And then in the second round, uh, I had a, a block off the wall with one horse and the other horse. I don't know, was having a little problems with his back in the warm-up area, and he wouldn't get anywhere close to the jump. He would try to leave from really far away, and one of the jumps in the ring, he tried to leave from two strides away and then realized he couldn't and came down and then jumped it. But, you know, I was so bummed out about, you know, that ending. But then I thought, you know, it happened for a reason, and that's going to make me keep working at this and try, try even, you know, harder that sometimes it's good not to win and it's good to then reflect back and say, Hey, what do I need to work on? Or where did I go wrong in my training or my mental preparation? And you have to kind of keep yourself in check and checking those things. And so, you know, now I think of, of losing though I don't like to do it, but I think it's a use it as a learning experience and and something to pump yourself up to get out there and win the next time. And then do you have a routine before a competition? Things you like you know, order of how you do things or something you like to do? 
Um, but for a big competition, I like to have maybe 15 minutes alone by myself where I can, you know, just get all the thoughts of the day. And, you know, particularly when you're training and schooling people and you have all things that you've been thinking about throughout the day. I like to just let everything just get in maybe a dark room or a quiet area and just try to let everything go and get very, that's how I get focused. You know, sometimes, you know, the night before, I'll read a book or some sports psychology, just maybe get a few things for me to think about that, you know, might help me in my mental game. But usually I'm nervous when I'm not on the horse, but uh, once I get on the horse, and then I think of relaxing the horse, and and I think it's hard just to have a, a tense and nervous mind and have a relaxed body at the same time. So uh, a lot of it goes away when I'm on the horse, but you always want a little bit of that nervousness, and then you just have to you know, figure out how much do you bring it down? How much do you bring it down? How much do you calm it down? Now, I've read that uh, you started meditating several years ago. Do you still do that? And if so, can you share why you started and how it maybe has helped your riding and competing? Yeah, I mean, I went, again, I was going through a, a stage of a little bit of burnout. And I thought, you know, again, it was, the same places I just wanted something you know different and and wanted to learn more about mental preparation and so I went on a few uh, meditation retreats and spiritual retreats and um, I still I don't I haven't gone on any retreats for quite some time now but uh I I still use some of the practices and the things that I've learned when I do start feeling stressed out or or getting too nervous. Um, you know, just breathing exercises and and able to let things come to your mind, but then kind of release them and let them go, and and just clear your mind so that you're totally in the zone because once I, I if you can get into that zone uh, it's almost like a trance you know that it you know nothing else from outside is bothering you and you're just so in the moment mm-hmm. and is that what you meant by like you try like if you're nervous about a big competition the night before you know you might work through some of those or is that how you get in the zone or like you said is that more in like the last you know 15 minutes before maybe a class yeah the meditating yeah i might try some the night before but mostly it's like right before the class or you know a couple hours before the class um and then there's other things you know things i might say to myself you know like you're so lucky to be doing this and 
uh, you're so grateful that you can do what you love doing and you know, smile or think about something funny in my circle or there's all little things. Sometimes if I'm too nervous about riding this one horse because it's too much pressure, then I think I'm riding, pretend I'm riding another horse. <laughs> and uh, or there's too much pressure on me, then I tend to ride. I'm trying to ride like somebody else. Pretend I'm somebody else. Mm-hmm. I have a lot. There's a you know there's a, there's many different states you might be in. Whether it's something you need to psych yourself up, you need to bring yourself down, you need to you know be a little happier. You know, so that there's those different comments that you say to yourself, depending on, you know, which which one you might need at that moment. That's neat. So it, it sounds like you don't, you know, if you're in a mood that you don't feel is going to be very effective, you're you're able to change it, you know, that you actually have control over that. Right. Which is, I think, especially amateurs, I think a lot of people sometimes can feel like I'm, you know, freaked out or I'm so nervous and they just stay in that state until they go in the ring and then things fall apart. But it sounds like you're able to talk yourself, I don't know, I don't want to say out of it, but just kind of change your whether your energy level or your your mood to to suit what you need to do. Yeah, like there's definitely different moods I want to be in for different things too. Um, you mentioned this, that you had a bad fall in 2018. Can you talk about what happened in, in both your physical and sort of mental or emotional recovery? Um, yeah, I was at a show catch riding. I had just come back from breaking my collarbone and I think it was my first show back. And I said yes to a catch ride. And after my round, I was came back to the trot and the horse just I didn't even feel the horse trip the horse just fell to the ground and I fell up against the ring fence and I was like my collarbone but then I I thought oh my I'm okay like my collarbone is fine but I didn't realize the horse was upside down next to me and then the horse rolled over on top of me and got stuck up against the fence on top of me and and then the the horse was able to roll back over and got up and got off of me but I had broken all my ribs uh, on one side of my body and a slight puncture of my lung and Wow. I was in the hospital for a few days. And I, I, you know, a lot of things go through your mind. Like, am I getting too old to be doing this? Or, um, uh, you know, maybe I should just train more. You know, I had these two back-to-back accidents. And I think that's what made me realize that, you know, I I don't want to be riding horses that I don't know, you know, that that well anymore. You know, I I did that for so many years, and 
I think I need to, you know, slow down. And it's one of the reasons, you know, I moved because I'm so used to doing catch riding in California and I'm not very good at saying no. So I would just probably keep saying yes. So I was, it was almost like, I, I think I need to move to Seattle and then that won't happen anymore. <laughs> but, uh, mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't think I was a little nervous at first about horses tripping, you know, I have never really, I know some people are really not it didn't really wasn't something I you know freaked me out about before but now you know I really don't want to take the chance on a horse that has a, a tripping problem because I'm still going to remember that fall for a while mm-hmm. and moving on we're, we're certainly in strange uh times now with with COVID um how has the pandemic affected how you do things or is perhaps still affecting you? I mean, in a way it's been good because I have this new job and I can, you know, focus on getting to know these horses and the program here and building up a, building up a business and clientele. So, I mean, luckily that I'm in Florida because this would not have been very good if I was in Seattle because the majority of the shows up there, people like to go to with Thunderbird and you can't go to Canada and people, a lot of the shows in California were canceled. So it would have been, I mean, hard on me to have tried to start something in Seattle and then this happened. So, you know, this is in a way taking this opportunity with Kim. It's been a, been a blessing in that way. And, and the fact in Florida that, you know, I can, we don't need to travel and there's shows all the time and I've, you know, I can stay home now. You know, we won't go anywhere but Florida until the end of April. So not having to travel every week like I used to on the West Coast and being able to stay at home, not at hotels. I think uh, I feel lucky. And what other interests do you have besides riding? Well, it's mostly riding, but I I love real estate. And, you know, we've in the past, me and my significant other, we have, uh, you know, invest, done well in investing in some the houses that we had and then and fixing them up and reselling them in, in our moves. And I just love real estate and looking at property. And if I wasn't in the horses, I'd probably be into real estate. So I'm, I'm constantly, even though we, we're not looking for anything, I'm constantly looking and uh, at properties and seeing how much I think that they, if they're good deals and how much they could be worth and how you could fix them up. And so, you know, hmm. other than the riding, that's, that's the other thing I kind of play around with. And I guess just to wrap up, why, why do you think you've been so successful? Um, I, I think, you know, I've always, 
surrounded myself with you know people that I I thought were good horsemen and and even you know most of the catch riding I did and the horses that I had success on were horses were people that were I considered you know good professionals and and I think that you know success is not on what I've accomplishments as far as winning or, or what I've won. I think to me success is is being able to do what you love doing and you're successful if you're able to do that. because uh, so many people, you know, that's hard. And though I've I've moved around a little bit in the last few years. I think, you know, the fact that I'm not afraid of change and I'm always trying to, you know, make a better opportunity for myself. And I think, you know, the success comes from from that and not being able, not being afraid of change. And like what I'm doing right now, to me, this is the most, successful even though i haven't been showing that much this is the most successful year i've had because i really love what i'm doing right now i love going to the, the barn every day i love my job and and to me that's successful well thank you very much i really appreciate your chatting with us thanks for listening to this week's episode with hunter rider john french And a big thank you to the sponsor of this week's episode, Perfect Products, the makers of Perfect Prep. Learn more at www.perfectproductseq.com. Join us again for upcoming conversations with eventer Ryan Wood, hunter trainer and rescue founder Ron Danta, show jumper Katie Monaghan Prudent, and eventer Courtney Cooper. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please rate and review the show. I'm Sandra Olenek, and you've been listening to the Practical Horseman Podcast.